l'économie. Check this out. Bis business rap of the day. The business rap of the day on Metro FM Talk. Yeah, it's our business wrap. We go straight into it. And uh, in the next few minutes or so, uh, do keep your phones close by because we're also going to be giving away some money uh, towards the tail end of this hour. But before we uh, give away some money uh, and uh, get into some of our big stories tonight, uh, we check in with the latest coming out of uh, business news here in South Africa on the continent and abroad. And uh, joining me on the line is the founder and chief investment officer at uh, Markwe Fund Managers, and that is a Markwe Masilela. Markwe? Okay, I want us to maybe start off. I mean, I woke up this morning and I must say, uh, you know, you seldom wake up to a morning where already in on the Twitter wires, um, a business story. Is dominating, and this morning was certainly one such morning because I woke up and everybody was talking about Mr. Price. So uh, after a while, you know, you go on sends and then you realize, oh, Gosia, Studio 88, now in the clutches of Eteguini headquartered Mr. Price, uh, following uh, very fast on their acquisition of uh, Power Fashion uh, in the last year or so. It seems they want every part of the clothing market. Those who want budget clothes. Those who want Justin Jay and those who are more aspirational about Funa Ikiwish. I think Mina now we fall into those who want in Jay. Ah, budget. Know? Me, I'm budget. <laughs> budget. But yeah, you are right. You know, for the past 18 months, I mean, these guys, that's what they've been doing. I mean, look, they bought that happy chair for almost a, a, a half a billion. Mm. And then, yes, they went to the power fashion. I think they paid roughly 1.6 billion. But maybe we need to understand something. The Studio 88 group, these are the guys who managed to save those over 400 jobs of John Craig mm. when the guys had to buy John Craig from Petco. These are the guys when you check their latest financials. I think that was at end of September last year. They had a revenue of almost 5.6 billion. They've got over 700 stores. And yes, we know who they own Studio 88, John Craig. And these guys, most importantly, and I think it's a perfect fit for Mr. Price because this is a cash-based only business Mm. and very cash-generative. And in an environment where interest rates are going up again, you need the cash business because you know your bad debt, your areas won't be anything of that sort. Yeah. So that's going to help them going forward. And yes, we know we've seen the likes of Fushini as well trying to expand. This market is becoming very competitive. But for me personally, I think this whole closing thing has changed because now we start to appreciate value mm. more than brand names. Yes, you mm. still have those, you know, who are still brand conscious. Yeah. But people are looking into more of quality more than anything. And I think the likes of your uh, Studio 88 or they mm. still offer that. And you know, for me, I guess what's interesting that might even distinguish this particular transaction from power fashions are just the scale of the points of presence. I mean, you know, if these guys bring with them 700 new stores, which takes the store footprint of Mr. Price to around, you know, 2,400, I think. That means, I mean, this is not inconsequential. They're the second largest trading unit now. Uh, just by value in uh, the Mr. Price grouping. 
which includes almost a price sale, Mr. Price uh, uh, loans business, uh, you know, the likes of Miladies, uh, and as mm-hmm. you've already said, I guess, you know, uh, uh, the likes of Power Fashion and others. So definitely um, a big play. But the other thing I'm quite interested in, Makwe, what, aside from Studio 88's cash business, what other benefits does Mr. Price get from taking an entity that's already making money in the same line of business? You know, they'll all be able to cross-sell some of the things, economies of scale, okay. as well when they have to come to negotiate in their rentals as well. Mm. And for them, you diversify and you try, as you said in your intro, to cover almost all the segments when it comes to the LSM. And I think that's what you need. You don't just want to be a niche player or just maybe a lower LSM player. And we can also see that happening with most businesses. A good example is also your banks, also travel, trying to capture all the LSMs. I mean, the likes of Capitec now trying to move seriously so aggressively so into business uh, division, you know, to compete on that scale. They started as just being known as serving the lower LSM. So at some point, after you've established yourself, you want to diversify the revenue streams. And I think that's what the guys are trying to do going forward. Mm. And yes, at the end of the day, if you're a big boy or a big player, you're able to call the shots. You know, whether it's from your suppliers, you know, whether it's from your landlords, whether it's from your lenders, you know, stuff like that, because they cannot survive without you. In fact, they come rushing to you, offering you all those nice discounts. So economy for scale will definitely be one of the huge benefits for the guys. Mm-hmm. And I guess, I mean, now with uh, the shift towards, you know, shipping, uh, e-commerce and... Uh, you know, shopping online. I mean, uh, all the capability they might have built in Yappy Chef, easily transferable here to the likes of uh, Studio 88, where you might be dealing, I guess, with the same market, right? I mean, I, I don't anticipate Power Fashion doing a big play online, but certainly Studio 88 might be doing that. Definitely they can, you know, and somebody said something nice that the guys also play nice music, you know, when you shop in studio. I don't know, Mano Petty playlist, but yes. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. But I think also what they need to do, maybe they also need to follow the route of uh, the Foshini group to make sure that they procure you know, more than 70%, you know, of their stuff locally. Mm. Because we need to capture that whole value chain. We know at some point the textile industry used to be very huge in this country, but for whatever reasons and for whatever uh, good or bad reasons we allowed, you know, Mm. cheap imports to come into the country. But it is the opportunity, if you are a big guy like Mr. Price, with such huge economies of scale, that you can help to develop that textile industry again. Yeah, and I guess, I mean, there's also some things you can learn, but also, you know, if, you, if you're if you as big as Mr. Price, which can do an acquisition like this just from cash reserves, putting that out there. I mean, there's no cash and share offer here, just money. Um, I'm not I mean, raising money from us. No, you know, Chief. Guys, no, 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 no. Exactly. These people are not even, going to, okay. I, they're not even going to investors like Marco and saying, Marco, give us money. No, no, no. They're going in straight. And what it means, Marco, is that you know, they might have a bigger war chest to compete with the fast fashion shifts that are happening. Uh, Because, I mean, if you've got a balance sheet that strong, uh, it certainly does allow you to do uh, a bit more than what many other uh, players in this segment are doing. And as uh, as we said, they take the whole LSM. But let's shift away from that. I didn't know that AXA, the airports company of South Africa, has a group of minority shareholders that they've been in a court battle with 
for what now? 20, how many years? 1998 is what? 24 years. 24 years. Huh. What's happening here? Very interesting. And, you know, it just shows that some of the stuff people didn't even know that the likes of the Reserve Bank, they've got private shareholders. Hey, 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 hey. That one. <laughs> so these are some of the things that we didn't pay attention to. But just that tells you that, listen, as much as you are big as you are as AXA, mm. guys who tend to be your shareholders in this kind of entities, I don't make me mistake. It's not the likes of me and you. These are the people who really know their story. They know why they got involved. They know that they've got some of the clauses that will cover them going forward. We're not just going to go around and bully them because these are not just your, uh, what do you call it, the newcomers when it comes to the investment world. Mm. I mean, who would have thought that they can participate in something like that? Just like the guys who are part of the Reserve Bank. I mean, most guys were not even aware that that's allowable up until the Seja Kanyaho encouraging people that please come and be part of this. So, it's not surprising that it's taking so long, and chances are it's not even going to finish anytime soon. You know, Mark, the other thing I'm, I'm quite interested in is what lesson, if any, can inform some of the restructuring exercises in our SOCs that are happening at the moment? Because it seems to me when this thing started in 98, the idea had been to prepare the airports company of South Africa for a partial listing or a listing, I don't know, but... Uh, to some degree, float the sort of shares of the airports company South Africa to the public in some shape or form. And at some stage, that decision then, you know, was taken back. Um, I mean, what lessons can we take here? You know, I, I was shocked when I, I read the story and I said, you know, I said, you know, I, it just shows you that, you know, uh, uh, our brothers and sisters who are policymakers, they really have to know what they're getting involved in. Mm. The minute they start involving the private sector in whatever way. Sure. Private sector is there to make business and for all good reasons. And it makes sense is their money that they've worked for or maybe the inheritance, whatever you want to call it. But they want to make sure that the money that they have is going to be generational wealth. So... When you commit to something, the guys are there for a long haul and they're just there to make money. So you as a policymaker, with your delaying tactics or you just decide to change your mind because policy doesn't suit you, in the real world, the real business world, it doesn't work like that. And what we can learn from all these things is that when we start getting involved with the private sector, let us be sure of our story. Let us first go and do our homework before we can even invite the guys. What is going to take us two, three years, you know, to come to that decision? At least it should be a very informed decision. It's not, it must not be a decision. Look what is happening with uh, state-owned enterprises. Everybody's complaining that they're not doing well. They need to be privatized, blah, blah, blah. They need to get private people involved. We don't have to rush that kind of a thing. Mm. That not mean it doesn't have to be done, but if because you're in a corner, you don't have money to bail them out, then quick, quick, you run a process, you appoint two consultants, you know, uh, to help you mm. to structure yeah. this whole thing. In six months' time, then you say, yes, 
you're going to sell 48% of the land, then you might end up being in trouble because you did that from a point of desperation. And you, if you come you know, from a point of desperation mm-hmm. in the business world, I definitely, we're going to take advantage of you. Oh, we're going to come with the terms and conditions that yeah. suit us. Lashley, if you come, I mean, with a weak hand, but you see, Mark, for me, I want us to maybe take one step back, right? Because I do think sales or transfers of ownership that was in public hands to private sector is the last step in a process that first should say, what are the things that are strategic where I think for these primary reasons, and there are many economic and other arguments for why a state should have corporations, um, I mean, one of it is in some of these sectors where long gestation periods, massive amounts of initial capital are needed that no one private investor will do, right? All of that stuff. What are those reasons? And there might be others that you want to actively drive the restructuring and change of that particular sector in the economy sharp. Once you are clear on that, I, I, I sit here and I say, okay, sure, you know, I'm in support of state ownership, but I'm not in support of having 700 state-owned entities across the board with no overarching framework that guides why why we have them and how we assess their performance. Uh, and I think for you me, know, that's the problem. That Let's start there. Before we even discuss with Tengisa, Masquez City know which ones are strategic. And once we agree, I mean, for instance, you can't sell rail, in my view. I mean, if you learn anything from the United Kingdom. US, US have sold rail. To their, <laughs> yeah, what happened money, there? made money from rail. Who made money? Certain people. I mean, I don't think <laughs> poor people benefited uh, from that, even in the United the Kingdom. Mm. So the, I think the president also said that they, they want to allow uh, uh, private entities to start operating on our rail. Yes. So gradually, gradually is opening up. Look, I mean, and I think that's good uh, because participation and ownership are two different things. But I think the other thing, but, hey, you know, with ports and rail, there's many issues. I, I, yeah, I, yeah. I'll start by participating. Mm. After some point, as we discussed, because we are stakeholders. I'll come with another proposal. Mm-hmm. But listen, I think there's another line which is required here. But you, Mr. Statesman, you don't have money to do that. No problem. I'll raise the money. Then I'll do another line. Yo, Mark, you know, because you know. it starts somewhere. Aya. You don't yeah, come with right. this whole big thing. You know that, no, you're right. yes, you know, then. And remember, the catch here usually is, do you agree with me this is required? Yes. Mm. Can you do it? Mm. No, I don't have the money. Okay. okay. I can raise the money to do it. Yo. What is it? We think of these things from hunger. You know? From and a weak hand. It's a question of they have to evolve with time. Yes. The way they used to operate it years back, if they continue that same model, then we'll see them mm. as being standard as not being yeah. useful. Yeah. I always and also mm, yeah, yeah. get the right guys. Get the right guys. Because I don't understand. I have the biggest problem. The guy who's working in the department or in the state or enterprise, uh, whatever, or mm. in the agency, he went to the very same school with the guy who's working for a private company. Who did the very same thing at school. They went to the very yeah. same school. So what's wrong with them operating the way the other guys are operating? And realize, if we all agree that most private companies are successful, if we all agree, then why don't we copy how they operate? Because they went to the very same school. Yeah, There's no school for private uh, sector executives mm. and school for public sector or state enterprise public but, I mean, but executives. But you see, Mark, the distinction between a public company and a private company 
is in the reason for existence and what you're trying to maximize, right? So you exist sure. for profit if you're a private company. But what you're trying to maximize also is the value for your shareholders as one specific stakeholder group. Whereas as a public entity, you are interested in so many other things. And I think somewhere there, that's why I'm saying, I think we've missed it there. We've missed it there. But, but, but maybe just before we leave this uh, SOC story, um, your brief comment just on uh, the latest, I mean, we did a story here yesterday on SAA and what's happening there between the National Treasury and DPE. I mean, it's quite relevant to what we're talking about now. Those are the things that are very discouraging. Treasury and DPE, I mean, these are government departments. They should be singing from the same book. Mm. Yeah. They should be having their own caucus before they can even go to whatever, uh, whatever committee that they have to go to. Mm. This should be discussing that guy. Yeah. This is our point. Yeah. This is our standpoint. This is how we want to go forward with this. What is we are thinking? Because all I'm saying, I don't understand. For me, I maybe I don't understand government. I see government has divisions in the company. That mm. the head of that division must talk to us that listen, you as human resources, this is what we intend doing as supply chain or maybe as finance. That they talk to you or you as marketing that they talk to you, how can this be done? Do you have the budget for stuff like that? So that when they go out there, you know, they all talk as government. Sure, sure. Then, just one yeah. some of these other things. This is again, Mark. We're in trouble, my brother. Maybe just... No, uh, if they eh? here, we'll get the prayers. Don't worry. They will get what? If they here, we'll get all the prayers. Don't worry, we'll be okay. Okay, hey. Makwe, I want us to go to Japan for a second. Because one of the things uh, the state needs to think about is uh, how do you, with the automotive sector like ours, respond to the push towards electric vehicles? Honda, in partnership with GM and Sony, is uh, effectively trying to bring these and make them a poor man's car, you know, so that Ayabonga can go and buy an electric vehicle uh, even earlier than 2030. What do you make of this? Uh, and I guess the other question is, what what do we learn from this? I mean, uh, if there's anything I take away from it is, you kind of have to also think about the battery and the storage part of the business as well. The whole value chain, which is important that you need to capture, has been specific on Honda. Honda, they realized mm. that they came late into this whole thing, but to help them catch up, they've partnered with people, the likes of GM, using one of their facilities, you know, they intend to build in there, as you know, over a period of time. You don't want to be going straight and compete with the likes of Tesla, as an example, but it's a nice build-up that you can do, you know, and you don't have to go pure, you know, electric vehicle, depending on the infrastructure. You can continue with a hybrid, but for us, remember, we don't own any car manufacturing company. So whatever that's going to happen down there at the coast, it will be dictated by the guys out there that listen, this is what we are producing for Africa. So we are facilitating at East London or whether at Deben or at Roslyn, we're going to maybe convert that to start producing for that particular market. So yes, we will definitely ultimately get to produce those electric vehicles, but that decision will be taken by the guys overseas because that's the ones who own your Hondas, your BMW, you name it. So whatever they decide in Germany, you know, or maybe in Japan, unfortunately, our guys down in have to produce whatever that needs to be produced. Yes, it can be a situation where a significant portion starts going or has to be exported, and then only maybe a small portion has to set the domestic market. But yes, we 
And I guess, you know, the more stringent emissions requirements become across the world, uh, the more many of uh, those who make components in this country have no choice. Somebody said it's more of a Kodak and Nokia moment, you know, that you realize that you have to move away from those cameras that you used to have in the films. You have to move into the Nokia world, you know, as we know that Nokia is one of the leading guys, you know, when it comes to cell phones. So you don't have much of a choice. You just have to adapt then a last one uh, with all that's happening in Eteguin and uh, I guess for our listeners in the next few minutes or so uh, we'll take a look uh, with our colleague Afanel Mklong or the latest coming out of uh, Eteguin but we know in industrial spaces uh, out in Prospecton uh, where Toyota makes many of the vehicles we know Fortuna, Hilux, Equandam and all manner of other things Uh, and also at SAPI the people who are in PAPE what is it? Pulp Paper Packaging I always get it wrong Pulp paper and packaging uh, I've also had some issues there in Saiko and also out in their mills in the Tugela and in Stanga as well it's, it, it, it's very disturbing you know, starting with SAP itself I mean, it's all beyond their control yes, we know the factory has not been damaged stuff like that, but unfortunately people cannot come to work because the roads are not good and unfortunately they cannot supply customers because some of the inventory has been damaged mm. and also when it comes to the export there's nothing much they can do but we should be happy that the guys are not at the point where they've declared a force major, you know so hopefully they see this not lasting for too long but yes in an environment where you know that you're coming from COVID an environment where you know that you couldn't operate because of unrest then when you're starting to lift your head then you have this natural uh, disaster which unfortunately no one can control that and the likes of Toyota as we were talking about vehicles I mean remember then in February sense Toyota that was the second best record sales hmm. ever so the guys were starting to get you know I mean the guys sold almost just over 13,000 the second guy was VWG which had around 6,000 hmm. and out of that 10,000 I think it was coming out of that particular factory and we know it's not for the first time that they got this kind of damages, but hopefully this whole thing will just get to subside and the guys will start to produce again. But it's one of those unfortunate things that you cannot operate. People cannot come to work. Yes, bro. So the fact the fact is it has flooded, and but I hope that they doesn't get worse, so that the guys get to a point where they are not able mm. to deliver because the guys will just starting to chow the market again and mm. speaking up. And in an environment where we know we have problem with high interest rates and employment and OS with semiconductors affecting the production of new cars, the guys want to do well. It's just so unfortunate. I hope that, uh, you know, all of the resources that uh, might come with the uh, declaration of disasters and the planning to make sure the next time these things happen. Uh, at least mitigate how severe they are going to become. Because if they don't do that, uh, then, uh, you know, you lose this type of uh, production and, God forbid, in global OEM sort of networks, you also lose the ability to uh, assemble some of these cars here uh, and uh, the capacity built up over many years in many of our paper mills. But uh, we leave it there, Makwe, for tonight. As always, a pleasure catching up with you, Brur. And, uh, yeah, do take care. Have a good one, my brother. Hey, tada. Makwe Masilela, the Chief Investment Officer and the founder at Makwe Fund Managers, joining us for our business wrap. We take a brief break. When we come back, we give away some money. Keep those phones close by. Check this out. Business, business wrap of the day. The business wrap of the day on Metro FM Talk. Money, money, money.